0: Welcome to Afternoon at the Museum, a production of Ira Tech Corp. It is time for Afternoon at the Museum with Ira. I'm Janine Stanley, your Director of Customer Communications here at Ira, and we have quite a gang today and a very special episode because we're not going to visit a museum, we're going to visit a museum lady. And I have with me today uh, Ryan Bishop in the background, operating and keeping us all on the air. Hey, Ryan.
1: Hello, everybody.
0: We have our host, Stephanie Watts. Hey, Stephanie.
1: Hello, hello, hello.
0: Yeah, and... Can you guys hear me okay? (laughs) (laughs) Did I lose? Did I sound like a chipmunk? No, 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 you
1: definitely don't sound like a chipmunk.
0: I think I'm the only one who sounds like a chipmunk today. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Don't even ask.
0: See, you guys on YouTube missed the pre-show. How sad. Anyway, we have as our special guest today, Peggy Chung. And many of you may know Peggy as the Blind History Lady. Hello, Peggy.
2: Hello. Great
0: to be here. Yeah, so we're going (laughs) to do something very different today. Peggy puts out a series of posts, and I happened to see hers last year during Black History Month on Facebook. Several of my friends had reposted them, and I said, Whoa, these are amazing stories that I had never heard before. So, when we came up on Black History Month, of course, we said, Well, we got to get Peggy on the show. So, Peggy, how did you become the Blind History Lady? Tell us, you know, your history with this whole project of documenting ourselves as blind people? Well it was kind of
2: an accident. Um, believe it or not I never liked history in school uh-uh. and did my best to avoid it. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up in the blind community. My mother was blind. She went to the North Dakota School for the Blind. We knew lots of blind mm-hmm. adults when I was growing up. I have uh, three other sisters who are blind as well. So for us, blindness was kind of the norm. Um, We had these blind people that we knew who were the rug weavers, the door-to-door salesmen, uh, the janitors, um, piano tuners, all the blind traditional jobs. Uh, And that's, I grew up knowing those people. By the time I hit my late teens, early 20s, I'm getting involved in a lot more activities and meeting a lot of blind people who are going off to college to become lawyers and businessmen. And they're in the PR industry and, you know, really cool careers, teachers, and so on. And so I was sort of ashamed of those people I knew from my childhood. So part of me is kind of hoping they'll forgive me now if I publish really, really good stories. But I didn't quite understand at that time that these were blind people that were working. These were blind people that were supporting their families. These were blind people that were making a difference in their own little community. No, they weren't rich. Uh, Some of them lived in the trailer court because that's all they could afford, of course. I thought trailer courts were kind of neat at the time. Um, But these were people that were making a difference in a quiet way that were helping life to be made better for me. I just didn't know it. Uh, Then in the early 80s, I was given a job to clean out all of the old files and boxes of old records from the National Federation of the Blind of Minnesota. We had had a building since the 1920s and had sold it. And now we were moving into downtown office space. Well, that meant there was no basement to hide all these file cabinets and boxes and junk in. So (laughs) they said, well, you know, all these old blind people. You go through and see if there's anything that's important. None of us really know all these old people.
0: Oh, wow. <laughs> so
2: <laughs> I got the parameters of what I needed to keep. Basically, get rid of 95% of it is what the deal was. Ah. Um, and so I'm I'm pitching all these old records and stopping to read a few things in depth once in a while. And I was coming across the letters from the 1920s. They were talking about meeting our blind congressman to talk about the robbins bill oh wow and i thought
0: (laughs) we had a congressman congressman,
2: (laughs) (laughs) i didn't know there was a blind congressman yeah
0: you know i didn't know what the robbins bill was
1: Mm -hmm. wow
2: and i i thought i was fairly well informed so (laughs) so i began to pay a little closer attention and If it was something I was going to throw out, I would just put it aside and I'll look at that later. I'll take that home and look at it later. Uh, That pile was kind of big by the time I was done. But I went home and found out who that blind congressman was. And that was Thomas David Shaw from Uh Minnesota. Thomas David Shaw had gone blind. When I'm speaking to kids, I tell them he went blind from smoking, which is sort of (laughs) the truth. (laughs) He went blind because he uh, had tried out this new electric cigarette lighter in the Fargo, North Dakota courthouse. It shorted, it threw him across the um, the the wall, hit the wall, and within a few weeks he lost all of his vision. Oh wow! Oh, so he um, he he had been a, a fairly successful lawyer. Um, he'd spent all his money to try and get his vision back, and when he and his wife were you know, pretty much didn't have anything. A few of his friends tossed him a couple of divorce cases here and there. But he ended up doing a lot of public speaking for some of his friends who were going into politics and they encouraged him to go into politics as well. So he ran for Congress and he won the seat um, in 1914. So he served from 1915 to 1925 when he was then elected to the U.S. Senate and he served till 1935 when he was uh, hit by a car and died from his injuries oh
0: my. Oh my.
2: and if and it's a really cool death story in a sense that oh.
1: um, <laughs> is um, if such can be the case uh, for a death story yeah. <laughs> well yes
2: uh, I I have a warped sense of humor so but <laughs> I have interviewed his daughter-in-law and oh, I have know? interviewed his grandson and the family believes to this day that he was murdered by um, organized crime, oh. and supported by the Democratic Party. He was a rep- Republican, of course. Oh, wow. mm-hmm. um, and today, when you look back at it, you think the family does have some pretty good um, mm. evidence to back up what they were saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, a friend of his who happened to rent his house in Minneapolis while he was in DC was a newspaper reporter, was doing a uh, major story on organized crime that was due to hit the press in late 1935, early 36. He was run down and killed by a hit and run driver in Minneapolis a couple of weeks before Shaw was. Um, Wow. So and and lots of other things that go into that. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so I started thinking, well, wow, if I didn't know about this blind congressman, what else don't I know? So I started collecting articles and so on. Then about 2000, I needed something to do to keep me busy during the winter. So I became a genealogist. Ooh. And I am, I'm probably not the best, but I'm certainly not the worst. I'm pretty good at what I do. And I started working on my family tree. When I got to a, a stumbling point, I pull out one of these blind people who I happen to have a news article about or a magazine story or uh, maybe I had a list of students from one of the schools for the blind and I'd start going down it and I started to find data on some of the people and now I have file cabinets and boxes of data because I want everybody to know just because it's on the internet today doesn't mean it's going to be there tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of our story is not on the internet. Uh, there's a lot of wonderful stories about blind people that we do have out there in the public eye, uh, p- blind people who have written their own stories. I tend to write about the ones that they weren't, uh, they weren't in the public eye that much, uh, or they weren't as celebrated. Uh, they weren't a, a novelty. They were just your average blind guy. Mm out there uh, making a living supporting his family, her family, Um, the the people that are an inspiration, I think, to us because so many times we go into a, a rehabilitation center or a state agency for the blind and we say, well, I'm a banker. I've just lost my sight. I want to go back into banking. And the counselor or the social worker or the specialist will say, well, there's never been a blind banker before. I don't know how you could do that. And what I hope that will come out of a lot of what I, I put out there is that eventually it will be mandatory that if you're going into counseling or social work or rehabilitation, that you actually take history classes about what actual people did, not just study the diseases, not just study the numbers, um, how many people learned to read Braille at what particular age or how many people use a cane versus a dog, but what did people do in their lives? I use the example of a blind banker because I found two Uh one of them, when he died, was one of the 15 richest men in New Mexico. Uh, When he passed away, uh, he had gone blind uh, in his late 30s. He'd gone out to inspect an oil well that the bank was investing in, and he had some interest in it as well. And a freak accident happened. There was an explosion. Several people were killed, including the president of the bank. He was vice president at the time. Uh, He lost his vision because of that explosion. Mm. Uh, Because this was the Depression, Um, he had a brand new family. Mm. He just couldn't he just couldn't stop. He just couldn't stop supporting his family. He had a lot of money at the time he could have. But he was also part of the society that did the charity events for the poor blind. Uh He knew how sighted people felt about the poor blind. He'd been part of that. He didn't want to be the poor blind. Mm-hmm. And the bank said, well, can you just stay on till we can transition? Um, we've lost the president. We don't want to lose you. You've been a part of the bank for a long time. So can you stay on so we don't have a big run on the bank? Mm-hmm. And he did. And then he was promoted to president and he stayed president for 25 years. Wow, so that's kind of how I got into it—curiosity—and um, then through my genealogy work,
0: mm-hmm.
2: I began to uh-huh.
0: and see, look at days, a lot of different people. Yeah, and these days we don't even think twice about. It. Oh, you want to go into banking? Okay, great. Now well, well, software. Now, well, I wouldn't go that far. Well, I would, go fire. Well, <laughs> I okay, would maybe say maybe not quite that. Uh, my, maybe not quite that liberal, but yeah. I think the community now doesn't even blink an eye, you know, the blind community at, oh, someone wants to go into banking. Fine. You know,
1: Well, we don't blink an eye. We don't blink an eye, but people still blink an eye. I worked with a gentleman who um, is currently, I'm going to give Joe Xavier a plug. He's currently the director of the California State Department of Rehabilitation here in Sacramento. And I've known Joe for years. He was an auditor. And in every sense of the word, he was an auditor well before he became director, but um, when he went out for audits, he he of course had a driver, but that was about all that person did was drive the vehicle. Um, very competent, capable person. And so we know it can be done. Um, he's also um, a Latin, Latinx. And so we've got people all across the spectrum, people of color, women, blind individuals who achieved great things and i believe society doesn't because they don't know our story they don't and so i'm really glad you're here with us today peggy um and hopefully you can share um because it's also black history month some of Mm the uh, accomplishments of people uh who are african americans of um uh, you know across the spectrum of um uh, of ethnicity some are I say I'm a Black American of African descent. Others have a different title they prefer, but all to say that we know that there's been accomplishments. We just don't know what they are. And now you've piqued my curiosity.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So <laughs>
0: yeah, wait till you hear some us, of these stories. Tell us. I, they're well, just amazing.
2: Well, this I use. I take February and put in my monthly emails. And if anyone is interested in getting on my monthly emails. Just shoot me an email at theblindhistoryladygmail.com at and I'll put you on my list. That's all one word theblindhistoryladygmail.com. Awesome. Somebody jokingly called me that one time, and when I decided. Well, when I was basically told to either do something with all this stuff that's cluttering up the den or get rid of it. <laughs> <laughs> Had to come up with a name for myself the, for my project. So
1: the ultimatum hit. Yeah.
2: <laughs> okay, I can't this think is getting of a up. better
0: one, actually.
2: <laughs> so this month, my, um, my story was about a blind lady named Mary uh, Fitzhugh. And she started the Fitzhugh Valentine Music School in Indianapolis. Now, the Mary was born undetermined, can't quite really find her in census data. Um, I don't think it's any big secret that tracking uh, Black Americans, well, even before 1920, was not that easy. It got better mm-hmm. after the Civil War, but still not that great. Um, So it's it's hard to know uh, exactly when she was born. And she changed her age a lot. So it's kind of hard to know, too, because she (laughs) liked to stay young. I noticed that she'd only age about six years from one census to the next, you know.
0: (laughs) I like that. I'm gonna see if I can try that, actually.
2: (laughs) Uh, so she went to the Missouri School for the Blind. Now, the Missouri School for the Blind did not take a lot of people of color, uh, did take a few. And what I can glean from that is that especially during the late 1800s, they were usually people of color who were lighter.
1: hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, lighter skin skin. yeah Mm
2: -hmm. so she went to the school for the blind she did not graduate she's not listed in the graduating classes now she did go there when she was 17 she began when she was 17 Uh, and that does mean that sometimes those students who went when they were 15 16 17 to 20 or whatever they did not graduate in a class so that is not that uncommon you can't necessarily say that she didn't graduate because she was colored, you, Mm -hmm. because she came in at such a later age than the rest of the students. Uh, She did learn to read and write in Braille. Uh, The Missouri school was one of the first schools to adopt, the state schools to adopt Braille. They had their own printing press and so on in Braille. So she learned to read and write in Braille. Uh, She learned to read and write music in Braille. Uh, When she finished, uh, she left the school and started to tour the country with uh, a promoter who was also a Black woman, well-connected, came to Denver. I live in Denver now, so anytime I can find a Denver connection, that's really cool. Uh, She did that for about uh, eight years and then ended up in Indiana. Evidently, she did not really care much for touring. She traveled all over the country in Canada. She went to every state in the union. Uh, got really nice reviews. She was always called the the colored girl or the, the colored girl sang very well or the uh, Negro girl sang very well. Never the lady, never miss. Mm -hmm. it's you um that is a it's so striking when i'm looking for people of color to find how they're thought of how they're spoken of the fact that most of them don't even have their names in the news article unless they went to jail or something that was (laughs) very Very telling you know Mm -hmm. i mean even If uh, the account of them in the newspaper is of their death, it will be the old black man who sold pencils passed away, Mm -hmm. not Mm -hmm. the name. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's kind of it's hard to find a lot of information. But Mary went to Indiana, and in Indianapolis there was a black thriving community there. She began her school in an office building that also had apartments and such in it. It grew. Finally, she had to build her own building for her school. Several of classical Black singers came out of the Fitzhugh Valentine School. Uh, She had married a man by the name of John Valentine. That's how the Valentine gets in there. Um, So I thought that was kind of appropriate, too, for February Valentine.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But She had the support of the community when her school was still small. She grew her staff who were all cited. But the first year, I mean, she was the staff. She was the teacher. She was the administrator. She was the program director. She was the person who saw to it that all of the um, activities were out in the community that she got her people out in the community. Mm -hmm. Uh, She did all of her own accounting. Um, So it wasn't until... You know she could hire people to do that that she turned it over and went into she still taught most of the time at the school um every se- every uh, semester but not as much because she did a lot more promoting mm-hmm. uh and then the last last several years it looked like she had more of the nine to five type hours you know <laughs> instead of working all the time <laughs> mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. she had the support of the community when they would have their concerts their um end of the year concerts, their graduations, their Christmas concerts and so on. Uh, They were held at a lot of the churches around the community who had a larger meeting space. And that was often given to her, especially the first few years uh, free of charge by the churches Uh, because of course they had some of their members at the school and so on. But one of the things I found about her too that I thought was really neat. I didn't put this into the uh, February Um, email about her, partly because I have to try and keep them short so people pay attention, you know. (laughs) But there was a um, mother and child who lived also in her building for a little while. The child was blind, and it uh, is noted that um, Mary and the Jones family Uh, got together. So Mary was the mentor for some of the blind children that ended up later at the Indiana Institute, Indiana School for the Blind. So she served as a role model for other blind children as well, not just not just the black folks in the community Mm -hmm. who were going on uh, into the music world. Uh, She had connections because she had traveled. So she was, you know, she was somebody that she really wanted to learn from. Mm-hmm. Oh. Uh, and her school school grew in. So there there is material in the Indiana archives uh, on the Fitzhugh Valentine School. So oh. if people want to go and look up uh, some more information about her. Sadly, as what's happened to a lot of the thriving black communities from the 1800s through the early 1920s and 30s, mm-hmm. is that there's a big freeway that
0: runs right through the middle of it now. Mm-hmm. So, yep and it destroyed it so oh yeah i know that happened here in columbus we had some of the homes are still in that area of the city around ohio avenue in that area and gorgeous houses that are you know now either demolished or whatever because the freeway went right through the Mm -hmm. middle of the community Mm -hmm. and you know there it went but now how long was her school around
2: I have not found an ending date from it. It went from 1918 (laughs) and I could track track it through the Uh 40s. She passed away in the late 30s. And I know it was still around for a few more years afterwards. But then I can't find it. It's I think it's about the time that the community sort of Uh started to break apart. Uh That,
0: uh, you know, I'm learning
2: a lot about the history of our country, some Mm -hmm. of it not so good especially when you're looking at people of color um and the black communities after the civil war some of them got to be really vibrant strong supportive communities Mm -hmm. and they had to be destroyed because the white people just couldn't
0: take it sure i was gonna say and we Mm -hmm. we know from the 100th anniversary of course about tulsa now a story that i never remember hearing in high school history i never remember reading about never made
1: it into my history nope (laughs) nope
0: not mine either (laughs) nope and yet i mean such a significant incident and nothing one of the things that i found really interesting peggy was that in some places there were separate schools for the blind for colored and white kids who were blind was that kind of a general practice do you know or
2: no it was not a general practice Um, especially the northern states did not have that the Maryland school for the blind was not separated until after the civil war oh wow Um, so black kids in Maryland went to the school for the blind um and until about, oh, I, my date is skipping out of my head, but mm-hmm. approximately like 1870 or so when the mm-hmm. color oh, wow. school was built. Mm-hmm. And there's there's interesting things about that, because up until the Civil War, like I said, the black kids could go to the Maryland School for the Blind. After the Civil War,
1: they couldn't.
0: That is amazing mm-hmm. to me that they could even go to the school at all, actually. It, wow. It really was to that's, it a, was...
1: that's backwards, too.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is.
2: It, it, it seems to be the only state that I found that to be the case. Uh-huh. Uh, the we weren't other thinking about were separating
1: not. you guys until the Civil mm-hmm. War ended. Then we thought would separate you guys. Well,
2: <laughs> yeah. you know. Oh, yeah. There's this race <laughs>
1: problem, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, brought to our yeah. attention.
0: <laughs> so We'll separate you oh. now.
2: Uh, the, I think the Maryland School for the Blind it was you know this was just starting up before the civil war mm-hmm. yeah. but then you've also got uh the fact that they're just trying to, to get all the kids in there as many as they can to say yes uh, this is a needed uh, facility uh, mm-hmm. for our state follow the money <laughs> follow- yeah that's exactly right um but the the maryland co- um, school for the blind for the colored they have um, some very nice stills, per, well-preserved documentation of that school. I noticed that for many years, the pictures all stayed the same. So, uh, you know, but they had the children all dressed very well. All the black children were dressed very well in, in the school and you have the chalkboard that you know, I'm sure most of the kids couldn't see, but it doesn't matter. But there was differences in what the kids learned. And I'm going to use um, this one of the first Black people that I really was able to trace, and his name is Otho Jones.
0: I love this story. I love this story. <laughs> oh, you this have been reading of a one the first I read, and I was like, oh, my gosh. I, I just, it was such a fascinating story.
2: Well, Otho was born in about 1861 or 62. I believe that he was born to free parents, that his parents were not slaves. They were farmers mm-hmm. in Maryland. Um, he, When he was five, he came running in and slipped on some lye that his mother was washing the floor with and got lye in his face and lost his sight, of course. He was sent when he was 12 years old to the School for the Blind in Maryland for the Colored. They learned raised line reading kind called line type Uh raised print not braille not new york point not moon type Mm -hmm. but raised line type which was raised print now this the white kids were not well they were learning that as well but they were also learning new york point and braille Uh so there's a difference right there Mm -hmm. the kids at the colored school are learning how to do laundry farming um caning chairs, working with tools. The kids at the white school are learning caning chairs, uh, sewing, needlework, piano tuning. Mm -hmm. Black kids are not learning piano tuning. Hmm. Um, Ofo stays nine years at the school for the blind, uh, graduates and he goes back uh, to his home. He tries making brooms. Oh, they taught broom making, of course, at both the schools. Oh, yes. Yeah, broom making, which oh. actually was a very successful profession for blind people in the mm-hmm. um, 1800s. It, mm-hmm. it was not mm-hmm. a um, profession that we think of today. Oh, they were broom making in a sheltered shop at a sub minimum wage. That right. was not the case back then.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, so he, he tried that, but he wasn't making a lot of money as a broom maker. And he was working from farm to farm. So he did some traveling. He worked tobacco fields uh, for a couple of years in a few states. He went to Missouri and worked in a brewery, um, loading and unloading barrels and washing them out and um, some carpentry work. Um, that didn't quite satisfy him. He moved back to Maryland. He um, worked as a newsboy uh, in his, the last four decades of his life. And he sold newspapers on the streets in uh, Hagerstown, Maryland, I believe, mm-hmm. which meant you were out there seven days a week selling the newspaper in the cold, in the rain, in the sun. Uh, he did okay financially, not really well. Um, at times he was on the poor uh, rolls for the, for the county. Uh, you didn't have, like we have today, the SSI or um, state welfare, that that just wasn't there. You had to have somebody go to the city council for you or go yourself and ask that the city council or sometimes the county give you some money for a few months. You didn't get a a monthly stipend for years at a time. You had to keep going back and asking for it. Um, As he got into his 70s, although they did put him on the um, the poor rolls uh, after his benefactor left the town, though they put him onto the old age pension, and that meant that he got a lot less money because he was now well into his seventies. But the neat thing about Otho is that Otho had uh, his raised line Bible that he had purchased himself; had it at his home. He took it to church. He taught Sunday school classes. He did readings at church. He was actually one of the more literate black people in the community because he could read. Um, And I'm not just talking about he could listen to books and understand them, but he actually could read. He knew the letters uh, where the uh, many of the other parishioners did not. He was the get out the black vote uh, for Hagerstown. This is what Mm. I love. This
0: is the part I love. mm.
2: (laughs) He would go to the um, community meetings for the Black businessmen. He would go to many of the Black churches. His church hosted meetings where he was the, the primary speaker because he worked with the newspapers a lot, talked with the newspaper men, talked to the reporters at the paper. He had people who read him the newspapers. Um, he would sell them the newspaper and they'd lean up against a doorway and they'd just say, hey, Otho, did you know he had re- Listen to this, you know. <laughs> oh. um, so he was well-informed. Mm-hmm. Uh, he became a leader in his community, a black leader in his community and got many people, many black people, out and registered to vote in the community, which that's because he had because he had an education, Mm -hmm. even though it was far more inferior to them, the white blind kids, it was still far better than the black sighted kids that had he not been blind, he probably would have been illiterate all his life.
1: Well, he took the least and made the most with it. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. this is,
2: I think, the stories that, you know, we we are oftentimes wanting to be the victim nowadays or it's in vogue mm-hmm. to be the victim. Uh, and I, I certainly don't want to take away from the problems that people do have and the, the trials and tribulations that too many people are still facing. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the people that I research are people who had a lot to overcome Mm -hmm. and still they just eh, you know what I'm just going to make the best of life I'm Mm -hmm. I'm going to keep on going um there's a another black gentleman he's a deafblind guy or he was deafblind. Mm-hmm. He's passed away. I only talk about dead people, by the way.
0: <laughs> uh-huh. That's, <laughs> that's one of the big
1: themes of history.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, most it doesn't of them are qualify dead. as history unless you're dead, right?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I <Yeah>. had somebody <laughs> ask me if I had read an article about them, and I said, well, you have to die first. <laughs> <laughs> and then they said, well, maybe not. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but... This is his name is John Carver, Washington. He's from Durham, North Carolina. And he is was a deaf, blind man. He was found when he was an infant uh, with his dying mother in an alley and was taken to the hospital. And one of the doctors got his daughter to take the the little baby in and nurse it it back to health. Um, So he grew up. Primarily, again, Durham has had a strong black community at that time. I don't know Mm -hmm. enough about Durham to say if they still do or not. But at the time, they had a close knit community. And so he was raised within that community. I don't know if he went to the school for the blind down there, but I do know that by the time he was 17 years old, he was living on his own and he was working in a um, sheltered shop for the blind. Mm. Uh, he worked with the Agency for the Blind. He was born in 1922, by the way. Ah. Mm-hmm. So that h- helped to give you a little bit of the timeline here. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the late 40s, he got to go to masseuse school and became a masseur, worked for the YMCA in Durham, North Carolina for several years. He married another deafblind lady. They had yeah. uh, a couple of kids. And I saw this interview that he and his daughter did. Um, He's deafblind, so they would always use fingerspelling in the family to communicate, and he would vocalize to his children. Mm -hmm. Um, But they were talking about when they were teens and the girls thought they could sneak out of the house.
0: <laughs> um,
2: you know, and I mean, heck, you know, you don't have to go home. Your parents are never going to notice when you come in, right? <laughs> after all, after yeah. all. <laughs> uh-huh. So, kids are funny. So my. he he took to um sleeping right in front of the door.
0: <laughs> uh, uh, huh, you're an hour late, hun. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: Didn't think and I would da- notice, huh?
2: Yeah, oh, but, wow. You know, okay. I've got deaf-blind parents. Of course, I can get by with everything. And the mm-hmm. daughter said, "Yeah, we sh- we got by with a few things, but um, you know, they had ways." Like of all knowing. kids. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Oh, <laughs> you
2: just gotta <laughs> test the limit. Mm-hmm. But another thing that um, was. He, it was always important for him to read. It was always important for him to know what was going on. So he learned to read and write in Braille. Uh-huh. But I did not know this. And as and I started asking some of my Black friends um, as soon as I found this out. Um, and I said, did you know about this magazine for Black blind Americans? And they said, no, I had no idea. So in the 50s, because he would, Go to the libraries, or we get people to read for him. Um, the family that took him in and raised him were fairly wealthy. He, the dad was a doctor, and all that good stuff. And they put up money to start this braille magazine. That, to the best of my understanding, is still actually being circulated today. It has about 600 subscribers to this braille magazine. That's published twice a year. That has articles relating to um, Black history, uh, Black culture, um, that sort of thing that would oh, be important wow. for blind Black people to, to know oh, about. Oh, wow. What Do is the have... name yeah. of this
0: magazine? Yeah. <laughs> uh let's see. I think I got it somewhere here. Uh-huh. uh Oh, let's see. Because, well, um... there's another one we've never, yeah. ever heard of. I don't know about no. you, Stephanie, but no. I've never, heard,
1: never of heard of that.
0: Never
1: heard of that.
2: It was called the Negro Braille Magazine. Oh wow. Huh.
0: And that Adam was a Joe. name.
1: Hiding that, that name was hiding in plain sight. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> Definitely. I wow. was looking for
1: some deep like philosophical tie to the motherland kind of name. Uh-huh. No. <laughs> uh,
2: sorry.
0: No, uh, it comes a little simpler than that. <laughs> I am impressed that it's still around though. That is yes. that is pretty impressive. Wow. Yeah, I believe
2: that uh, there's he hasn't had a lot to do with it over the last you know s- several decades mm-hmm. but according to what i have been able to find out which isn't much is that it's supposedly still in existence and uh, i know that the durham public library has information on that. Oh, wow.
0: Well, uh, so if so, anybody in our audience yeah. is from Durham or knows about this magazine, let us know. Let yeah, us know send if it's me still data. Out there. I <laughs> <Yes>. data. <laughs> yeah.
2: And again, it's, yeah. it's the
0: Negro Braille magazine. Is that okay?
2: well, you got to understand it started in the 50s. So of right, course it right, wouldn't right. say black. Oh. Or, or Right. Yeah. Exactly. And it wouldn't say colored. It would say mm-hmm. Negro. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that no, is one of I the things. <laughs>
1: Remember the name. Yeah, Yeah.
2: when I go looking in history, I've taken a lot of classes on how to search for your family history uh, in genealogy. And that has turned out to be the best way for me to gather the data. Unfortunately, because blind people were not encouraged to have children that much, mm-hmm. they don't have the direct descendants who are keeping their parents' history alive or their grandparents' history alive. Um, so, so that is, it, it makes it harder to trace. And then when you add in minority status, mm-hmm. you add the illiteracy rate that's higher, the not keeping um letters or information mm-hmm. about those people because the community was primarily white mm-hmm. and so on. You have to sort of learn how to uh fiddle around with the words and not be politically correct when I do my research. Mm-hmm. If you're looking in the north and you're wanting to find out information, you put in the word Negro. Mm-hmm. Down in the south, yeah, you can put in Negro, but sometimes you have to put the other N word in there. Oh, oh. Yeah. You know, uh, you have to understand the history, the time that people Mm -hmm. were living in, um, what was going on at that time. Um, Mm -hmm. I have found interesting data about a black man who uh, worked in Mississippi as the porter, the primary person for the railroad station there. Can't find his name, but there's articles about him.
0: Oh, hmm. wow.
2: About how hard he works. He's mm-hmm. he's a, he's taking all of the um, baggage, all of the mm-hmm. boxes, the crates, the cargo off of the railroad cars, storing it, making sure it gets to the right people when they come for it at the station, and he's totally blind. Um, some say he used a cane, some didn't. Um, wow. But um, talks about how hard he works, but he doesn't have a name.
1: Wow. Well, to give a person a name is to make them human. Exactly. We're just going to be frank about it. And, you know, call it what it is. You're not a human if you don't have a name. Mm -hmm. And, and I, Peggy, I want to just say that I appreciate your candor about it, because there may be people in our audience today who want to do their own genealogy and research. And um, what you're saying uh, will help people to get past the um, well, how do I go when the leaves stop? You know, I have a family member that's dabbled that in doing our family genealogy. And we we're, were talking a couple of years ago um, uh, and about the, the whole researching your genealogy or history and all of that. And he says, you know, it's hard when, when all of a sudden your leaves, don't, you know, this is ancestry.com or whichever one, but he mm-hmm. says it's hard to, to know where to go when the leaves stop. And in researching our family, we had, he was reading to me, and he says, "This is this is where it stops for, you know, this particular branch of the family." And now, you know, for me anyway, I have somewhere else to go and some different thoughts around it. And I, I would feel the same. Um, we'll hope that people who want to start researching or have gotten to a, you know, a stopping point will take what you're saying. Um, in, in the context that you're saying it in and be able to go forward with it. So, yeah,
2: again. It is one of the um, things I learned early on as a genealogist. Well, first of all, I started in 2000. Ancestry.com was just getting started. yeah. There were no family trees on there. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) Much less accessible records. Oh, oh, they they have done a fairly
2: good job of Mm -hmm. making as much as they possibly can Mm -hmm. be accessible. Yes, anything that is handwritten if they don't have someone to transcribe it, it's not going to be accessible. Uh, I have spent a lot of money. I, I don't even want to calculate how much money it is just working on my family tree where I had to write to uh county clerks city halls public libraries um because i was active in the genealogy societies i made contacts with other genealogy societies hi can you run down to the such and so courthouse and (laughs) see what you can find do you have time to go to the library and see if you could run through the newspapers from this time period to this time period and see if you can find an obituary Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. um but that is how I have approached looking for these blind people and if you're looking for persons of color it's even more important because black people as you all well know were three-fifths of a person uh, before the civil war they didn't have a name Uh on the census documents they were negro male 21 Mm -hmm. negro female Mm -hmm. mulatto 15 you know Mm -hmm. no name Mm -hmm. just an age no birth date uh Mm -hmm. If you can find where they lived and look at the surnames that came out of your ancestry's ancestral tree when just after the civil war, you can probably find the plantation they were on or who their master was. Uh, You have to get over the, the language stuff and not think of being politically correct in your mind, because mm-hmm. you, if you are, you're not going to find information. Um, sad but true. Yeah. Sad. It, it is, is sad it, yeah. to, to think that way. But yep. But we've got a lot of Black people who we can be proud of. Mm-hmm. Um, th- there's uh, let me see. Let me flip over to my notes here, because I want to make sure I get the names right, you know. Ah, oh, great. Great. but um
0: I'm hoping you're going to tell a story about one of the people that I'm thinking of so we'll see who you've got in. well <laughs> there's John Waltney now he lived
2: from 1928 to 1998 he was a professor of anthropology the
0: one thank oh. you <laughs> <laughs> I could not remember his name I just remembered that he was an anthropologist so now nah. he's he's kind of a cool guy um
2: he was born like I said 1928 um he was born into a very close knit black community where everybody was aunt and uncle basically, <laughs> and they had their own schools, um, the, you know, they um, their own churches, their own businesses. His dad was um, a sa- a sailor, and he mm. would come back and he would tell john all these stories about the places and he was evidently a good storyteller Mm -hmm. because he got to john dreaming about all these places Mm -hmm. um his sister made sure that he learned how to read um him her sis his sister and his mother would cut out the print letters and they would okay now this is an a this is a b this is the words putting them Mm -hmm. together teach they didn't know about braille at the time Mm -hmm. um They taught him music because they knew blind people could do music, Uh, but he also had an uncle that was an artist. So when he was still like five, six years old, the family put a knife in his hand and gave him pieces of wood and taught him to carve. Um, Which is why if you go online, you can buy on eBay some of his um, um, carvings today. Uh, He became quite an artist, but um, his mother wanted him to go to a better public school where they would have better opportunities for a blind kid. He was black, that's one strike against him, Mm -hmm. but then you had the blind in there, mm, that's another strike. Mm -hmm. So she actually contacted Eleanor Roosevelt and said, I wanna send my blind son to a public school and Eleanor Roosevelt helped her to to do that. Mm -hmm. So he went to public school, he got part-time jobs in the summer, Uh, His father died when he was like 10, 12 years old, something like that. Um, He actually earned enough money where he bought this old beat up car and he couldn't drive it, but his brother could. Um, And this turned out to be a great thing because after he graduated from high school, his mother became sick with cancer. Uh, He went on to college. Unfortunately, his mom, who valued so much a good education, had died before he graduated from college he had to work his way through college. Uh, He got a a scholarship from the New Jersey Commission for the Blind. He went to New York, went to school. Uh, In the 60s, early 60s, he wanted to study this uh, tribe of Mayans. And they had like one out of 20 blind, one out of 20 uh, people in the tribe were blind. And so how did that society incorporate all these blind people mm-hmm. into their community. Mm-hmm. So he wanted to study that. So he went down there. He had different canes made for him because there's no roads. Mm-hmm. Um, there's you know nothing like that. So he had these metal canes made for him. Um, at first he had some trouble with some of the tribal leaders because he traveled around by himself. His wife went with him as his research assistant. But, you know, he walked around, you know, mm-hmm. in the community, up and down the hills and going from place mm-hmm. to place by himself. And in the community, the little children, they would, they would be, get the honor of escorting the blind person.
0: Oh. Um, so hmm. you know,
2: it, was, it was kind of a whole different view of blindness.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so they called him a witch doctor. Oh, <laughs> oh <my>. <laughs> wow. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but he,
2: he won everybody over and became part of the community and studied how they treated their blind people, how those mm. blind people interacted in their community, were an active part of the community, um, and how the blind people were sort of um, not the most revered of elders, but still had a higher rating than the blind people in our own society, mm. where you would want to be. The guide for the blind people they were expected to go places they were expected to do things expected to still contribute mm. to the tribe oh. mm-hmm. so it was an honor if you were to be the guide where here in the united states um if you were a kid who dropped out of school and you had nothing else you might get a job leading a blind guy around oh, you know wow. in the 1880s uh-huh. or 1890s um so it was a whole different philosophy. And he's written a lot of that. Uh, and you can go at, online and order some of his books. Uh, he's written some books about uh, the studies that he did about Black Americans. Um, that uh, He's got a lot of work out there. And there's mm-hmm. a lot of information about him. So although I've written a little bit about him, he's not going to be somebody I'm going to study in depth because others have done that. I I'm right. gonna go after the the Otho Jones. Sure. Right.
0: <laughs> How do we spell his last name? Yeah. Uh, let's see. Um, G-W
2: A L T N E Y.
0: Okay, well, Oh, the, I wouldn't have thought. And,
1: and Peggy, be- let me let me ask you, um, the blind history lady at gmail.com. Once we sign up for your newsletter, how often does it come, and can people obtain, uh, obtain archived copies of, of mm-hmm. things?
2: Well, you know, I put it out once a month, uh, and I've been doing that for about four years. Mm-hmm. I have my archives of it. That's true. It is not in a blog. I have not done okay. that yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I... I had no idea where this was going to go when I started this five years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, But I am very willing to share my stories with people and talk about it. Uh, I do a lot of public speaking. Mm -hmm. Right now I do a lot because I can stay home.
1: Oh yeah. <laughs>
0: exactly. Here my computer is on the <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So if exactly. you all are interested in having Peggy speak at an event as you can tell, you know, we have just blown through an hour here just fascinated with with these stories and how all of this information's been gathered. So please visit the blindhistorylady.com. Wow
1: absolutely and peggy you need t-shirts you need swag that's right you do. <laughs> get your ira agent to help you design you some swag for the zazzle shop exactly. I, I got these
2: cute little um, wristbands that had a jump drive on them with oh. several of my articles that i have um, put together and when i was out with people <laughs> <laughs> way no. back when we did that kind of thing <laughs> such a long
1: time ago in a distant land
2: <laughs> yeah, and I'm hopefully I'm going to have a book coming out in print fairly soon oh wow um, about uh, a blind guy who was a TV star in Texas and how he had to hide his blindness when in the 1940s when he went out to be a TV star, oh a my. Movie star in the movies and came out with his blindness was open about it. Uh, they they did some in a, they did some really simple, easy things and and made it possible for him to work. But the directors all wanted him to be, you know, like the blind clown cowboy. Oh yeah. Know? Oh no. He wanted to be a little bit more serious than that. Um, mm-hmm. But he so he, when he went back to Texas and reinvented himself, uh, he started a kitty show, and ah. for ten years. The studios. That was before you did videotape, you know, and Mm. you you didn't send the tape off to the next station. You traveled to the next station and did your show, (laughs) Uh and traveled to the next station and did your show. Uh, And for ten years, he hid his blindness. Wow! And people did not. The management. Oh, yeah. There were a few people that knew, but he hid it from the management because he was afraid he would be canceled.
1: Mm -hmm. Wow! Wow! That's an incredible story and what a, um, you know, a testament to him that he could do it. I I don't know if that meant he had some partial vision or whatever, but just the idea of having to hide Mm -hmm. something that is a part of who you are. It's not all of who you are, but a part of it. Um, That's just got to be a kind of one of those magical, fantastical trickery things that Mm -hmm. (laughs) I Mm -hmm. I know I can't do that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, you know,
2: I just, you know, especially in, when I'm working on the, the the Black History Month stories that I do,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you
2: know, I, I'm discovering how in the blind community, how segregated it was. We didn't even stick mm-hmm. together as a people. We stuck together as white s- blind
0: guys, black blind guys, I Mexican just blind guys. I still find mm-hmm. it amazing that this still persists to a point Actually, within the community and point, point, yeah, yeah it, it just I don't know I mean it well, brings we're, up we're a cross-section so of the society
2: so why should blind sure, guys huh? be any different mm-hmm, or that's bad true. <laughs> than society that's um, mm-hmm. true you know that's too many times point. we're portrayed as that you know saintly religious person because oh, right. we're blind right
0: and we mm-hmm. have no prejudices nothing like we're that so innocent and sadly <laughs> we, we have
1: no 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 hidden things in our closets no anything mm-hmm. we've just got it all together and angels sing and harps are playing as mm-hmm. we oh, <laughs> well, yeah i've been know. accused of i've been accused of being sort
2: of a um Pollyanna, so every once in a while I'll come out with the blind guy who is the crook who takes oh. the kids hostage and shot oh, this spot ooh. team because he was about to, you know, put a knife to a kid's throat. Whoa. You know.
0: <laughs> we are
2: just like everybody yes. else.
0: <laughs> yep. Sad in all truth. the good and bad ways. Well, we're gonna yes. have to have you back to tell that story. <laughs> 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 oh my gosh. I'm just thinking that th- these would be such fun podcasts to do with the, you know, kind of the radio drama and all of that. That mm-hmm. would be wow. <laughs> now that I've got another fun. job for you. There you go. <laughs> hey, just bring Woo. me the money. <laughs> <laughs> you give the stories, we do, you know. <laughs> hey, no that problem. Is so good. But I, I just think so many of these stories are great. We want to thank you for being with us today on Afternoon at the Museum, a living museum here. Uh, Peggy Chong, the blind history lady, thank you so much for being with us. Thank, thank you, it's you been Peggy.
1: Great. <laughs> it's just been delightful having you. And thank you, Janine and Ryan. I don't know if we lost Ryan somewhere oh, along no. the way. R- Ryan's he went off. off into another exit.
0: <laughs> he is off working, working, working. Yes. Next week, gang, we were going to have a panel discussion, but we have put that off for another time and we can discuss that, but you will be hearing about that on the podcast. So we'll be, we'll have a, a, um, chance for everybody to hear this panel discussion at some point, but what we're going to do next week, this is a museum that has come to us by request from several uh, explorers and agents, and it is the National Museum of African-American Music in Nashville. This is a brand new museum. And one of our explorers was just there last weekend. It's opened up, and like many museums, it's opened up on a limited schedule, but it has opened up. So we are going to be visiting that museum. Now, Stephanie, you are going to be visiting our elected officials, right?
1: Yes. Yes, I am. <clears throat> it will be virtual, but nevertheless, visiting Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. um, speaking to, um, for for me, because I'm in speaking to legislators from california
0: yeah and so will you will you get to speak to miss harris will you get to speak to her as your senator no. or she's no longer <laughs> my senator she's uh, well, my vice president so that's <laughs> true but <laughs> but but we
1: will have a team speaking to uh, alex padilla who um, oh, okay was, uh, selected to um complete um vice president harris's term and <laughs> we have other legislators in our state. I think we have 55. Um, Oh,
0: wow.
1: (laughs) We have a large delegation um, and I'm Mm -hmm. with the California Council Council of the Blind. um, And of course, this is taking place um, through the American Council of the Blind. Mm -hmm. And um, so that is the reason I will miss you all next Friday. But um, I'm going to go back and listen to the podcast because that sounds like a very interesting museum I... one
0: did a little look today and it's um, it's pretty impressive. So I think we're going to have a good time as always. Then in March, on March 12th, we're going to skip a week, but on March 12th, we are going to be at the San Diego Safari Park, the San Diego Zoo and Safari mm-hmm. Park. More right. fun animals!
1: <laughs> it's animal time again.
0: <laughs> it is, March is animal month because oh, uh, the okay. week yeah. after that, we have the Presidential Pets Museum folks Ooh. and this one of the curators is blind and and also has a guide dog. So we're going to be talking to Andrew Hager from the Presidential Pets Museum. We're going to look at pictures of the many presidential pets some of them were a little out there but um (laughs) and we will yes we will learn all about the alligator and the raccoon and uh i can't imagine having a pet raccoon in the white house Mm. how it did not destroy everything because they're adorable but wow are they destructive (laughs) Mm, they're mean yes they can be yes yeah (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm <laughs> well, so that is our show for this week. This has been Afternoon at the Museum from Ira, a description of life. For more information about Ira, visit www.ira.io.